my name is Stella Guan. I'm the founder and CEO of Path and Bound. We are a design school democratizing creative education. And today we have a really exciting guest. Her name is Christina Nguyen, and she is based in New York. She is a creative recruiter who also started her own coaching business. So welcome, Christina. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, so um, we are so excited to speak to you because we've received a lot of questions from our students regarding recruitment, um, you know, getting a job, and especially from bootcamp students who are concerned about their prospects in the job market. Um, and we would also love to learn about your new business. Uh, we're very excited to chat with uh, Asian-owned business uh, because we are one. So without further ado, um, let me ask you this question. So you have a pretty impressive career track. Um, you're now recruiting creative talents for Amazon. Um, and you you started your own boutique business. So tell us what motivated you to be in the recruitment industry. Yeah, that's a great question. And um, it's really funny to me sometimes to answer it because most of the time when you speak to recruiters, you will notice that the very common answer is, I just fell into it. Um, I mean, generally nobody goes into school thinking like, oh, I want to be a recruiter one day. It's not just like a, it's not really, common kind of thought that people have. Um, but I think for me, it was, uh, you know, I was just like a lot of, like, just like many people, I graduated from college, I was 22, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had a business degree, which there's so many like different things that you can do with it. And um, I still remember I picked up two suitcases, I like, got on a one-way ticket to New York City and I was like I'm just gonna find a job I don't know what I'm going to do but I'm just going to find a job and at first I thought I wanted to do marketing and sales but I also had a lot of interest in like HR and like creative and I just ended up coming across this opportunity working for a very well-known staffing agency as a recruiter um, and I think it just kind of was a good match of you know, a combination of all of my interests and kind of skills. And that's how I fell into it. That's awesome. So, you know, actually, I never, I never realized people uh, don't usually try to be a, a recruiter. <laughs> that, that's a very interesting fact. Um, and, and obviously, we don't really see, you know, like a recruitment major in college, right? Um, <laughs> I, I, I've heard of graduate studies in, you know, human resources, and that kind of majors, but probably recruitment, it's something that people just found their way in. Um, so that's very interesting. So how did you become specialized in creative recruiting? I love that question because the answer is the same. I just fell into it. Um, well, I mean, I did. Um, it wasn't too much of an accident, I guess. Like it just was perfect timing. I, growing up, I was always kind of a creative type. I just never like pursued it formally. But before I even started looking for jobs, like you know, growing up in college, I loved making videos. I was always very passionate about like painting and creating things with my hands and doing a lot of like digital things. I think at one point I tried to start like a creative YouTube channel or something like that. Um, you know, like early 2010s, everybody was doing makeup tutorials and like fashion videos. So like, you know, I had a short period of time when I like doing that. Um, and same as in college, I was creating a lot of video content for my school and just had those interests. And 
Um, I always tell this funny story when I walked in for my interview at that recruiting agency where I ended up working, I had a pink graphic design resume. Um, I actually (laughs) saved it somewhere because nobody believes me that I got a corporate job with a pink resume, but I actually did have one. Yeah. And it was just kind of like graphic. I was trying to be creative. I I made an illustrator myself. Now I'm looking at it. I was like, oh, this is terrible. But back in the day, I was so proud of it. You know, I had a pink resume at one point. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, my God. Many, yeah, many I remember. Ago. Yeah, I remember my boss who ended up hiring me. Like later on, asked me, like I was so surprised there wasn't like scented or something like that. And I was like, okay, I wasn't going that far. Scented? Um, oh my god! <laughs> it's like, Le- what was that movie with Reese Spoon? Like back in like early two thousands. Um, I think that was the thing from that movie because she showed up with like a pink scented resume. So that's why my wait, that was the thing. I-, I didn't even know that. Yeah, I forgot the name, like Legal Blonde or something like that. Um, but yeah, that was a thing from a movie. So he was kind of making fun of me of that. And I was like, well, you hired me. So, you know. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I remember at the time my agency was trying to expand into the creative um, space. They just didn't have a dedicated like recruiter or resource for that. And, you know, I walked in with my pink resume and then had a creative background and like knew a few like Adobe software, like little like things that I knew how to do. And he looked at me, he was like, I think you're going to be perfect for this role. And they actually didn't tell me that I was going to be in creative recruiting until I actually like joined my first day. Then they told me. So that was a surprise. (laughs) That was a surprise. Yeah. Like I thought I was just going to do like general recruiting, maybe like finance or administrative or something like that. But then they told me, it was like, yeah, like nobody has done it, but we think you can do it. So yeah, surprise. (laughs) That's fascinating. Um, They probably saw the the potential in you and they just, you know, decided to assign you to this thing. Um, and, and, And that's probably something really good for a new, uh, you know, fresh graduate from college um, Mm -hmm. because, you know, you can mold your own path. But sometimes, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, people are open minded about it and they've, like you said, fell into something. Um, Mm -hmm. So so from your experience as now a creative recruiter, what do you think are some of the top skills employers look for in specifically designer nowadays? Mm -hmm. So. It's kind of a long answer, but not really. Um, I would say it depends, obviously, you know, on like the discipline, if you're more of a visual designer or if you are a UX designer. Um, I think one thing that I didn't know about at the beginning of my career is that I learned so much about how companies see design from the business standpoint is, uh, you know, I... One of the really interesting things that I learned uh, at the beginning of my career is I think one of my candidates actually told me that there is a big difference between art and design in the sense that, you know, sometimes art is like, yeah, like, you know, a lot of it is like self-expression and then, you know, like the aesthetic, but design the way that a lot of companies see it nowadays is like, how does it solve our problems? Like, how does it deliver a message? Or like, how does it help us to create an experience for our customers? And aside from obviously being a good designer and having a good aesthetic, the biggest skill that I noticed that interviewers look for, like during your interview is your ability to explain like how does your design solve our business problems or how are you able to walk us through your process you know 
talk about like your design process, talk about like data, talk about your design decisions, things like that. And I think that's something that catches a lot of even seasoned designers by surprise sometimes. Um, and it's something that I do have to coach people on a lot, like, you know, during my Amazon preparation calls, which is like in my coaching businesses, some people can be the most phenomenal designers, but they often fall short, like with like trying to explain that business side of things. So, yeah. Um, does that answer your question? I mean, yeah, I can obviously absolutely. go into like, you know, more technical skills yeah. and things like that. But I think that's like the biggest thing that people don't always realize. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And uh, from my personal experience as a designer working for mm -hmm. uh, big companies before, I, I, I think that's probably one of the most common questions. And, and they probably asked at first, even, you know, they're mm -hmm. not going to waste their time and ask you to walk through three projects without asking you to talk about mm -hmm. your process. And like you said, a lot of designers are really good at their craft, but they aren't necessarily um, well versed in explaining things and presentation and, and kind of um, mm -hmm. uh, relating the business to the design, which is ultimately what design is right like you said it's not art um and i think a lot of designers probably are, are, are realizing that now and um and and mm -hmm. and you know through your help uh pro you know for, uh, career mm -hmm. coaches um help they hopefully will become a lot more well-versed in that um so let's talk about bootcamp graduates so i know nowadays bootcamps are really really popular and a lot of people are using them to transition into design which is a wonderful thing because before it wasn't really possible unless you go back to school, which is time consuming and expensive. Um, so, so expensive. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so nowadays, um, actually, a lot of students have this one concern because they do realize they're competing against college students who have a degree in design. And nowadays, a lot of college actually have um, these newer programs in UI and UX design. So they're really concerned if they will be treated as a second-class citizen when they're in the job market. So mm -hmm. from your perspective as a recruiter, have you had any experience of that uh, while working with, with companies? Have they been treated a little bit differently? Yeah, that's a great question. And this is probably like the most, like, the most popular question that I always get because... Um, it's kind of been like interesting because I, you know, spend so much time working like corporate recruiting and like really learning what hiring managers look for. But I also do coach for Springboard, which is a really big UX UI boot camp and kind of have to have a lot of those conversations. Um, I'm going to answer this question as yes and no, um, but let me explain. So. First of all, like when you are first graduating from either college or boot camp and you have zero experience and like no real life knowledge of anything, you are going to be treated as a second class citizen, you know, regardless of what's happening. Right. I think a lot of people have this misconception that, you know, you graduate from school, and you have this formal degree and you walk out on the street, you like wave that degree in the air and then suddenly all the employers like running to you or something like that. We all know that doesn't happen, right? Like maybe you will get lucky, you'll meet somebody at a career fair or something like that. Or maybe if you go to like, yes, like very big name school, you might get an interview, but it really doesn't guarantee that you're going to get a job, right? Um, back in the day, like I did have some hiring managers or some companies that I used to recruit for that would really prefer people with a design degree. Um, 
like some sort of formal education. That was the case, but as I, you know, am watching the design field really like change and the landscape really change, that that kind of like thought or like that requirement is very quickly fading away right now. Um, the reason why is because honestly, like after you've been working in the design field for a few years and you have the experience and you're really able to, like I mentioned, explain your design process and really pitch like how does your design solve problems? After a couple of years, none of that is going to matter, like where you got your education. If you can execute, if you can create, and if you can solve problems at the end of the day, that's what people are going to care about, right? So right now, you know, even like when I was recruiting for um, like Microsoft and like Amazon and like Facebook, like if you are very, very like early in your career, like some of that is going to matter. But like after it's been a few years, like we just treat everybody the same way. Like if you were able to do the job, like that's all it's going to matter. Um, and the second thing that I've noticed, especially in the past year, just because this has been such a big topic, like on my mind and on a lot of people's minds, like, you know, boot camp versus graduate school. Um, I work with a lot of clients who are recent boot camp graduates, but I also recently worked with two clients who were graduates of like Dartmouth and NYU, and they have those like very like fancy degrees. I also work with people from like Carnegie Mellon who recently graduated and we believe it or not, they're facing kind of the same issues. They also have this imposter syndrome. They also feel like they're not getting a ton of traction from the job search. So that just kind of shows a degree like isn't everything. Um, another big thing that I noticed because I was actually doing my own research and like, you know, is the degree better? Or is a boot camp better? Um, I noticed a lot of degrees like degree programs. And it's something that one of the hiring managers that I work with actually told me as well. Like it's, yes, you get a very good like theory or like, you know, theoretical like knowledge of things and you understand this, but I think some degree programs a little bit behind from boot camps when it comes to like actually helping you to get real life experience and actually executing. So I've been uh, reviewing a lot of portfolios, which I don't know if we're going to be talking about this, but I just want you to know when you're a designer, your portfolio is the most important thing. Like I spend about 10 seconds on somebody's resume, the end of that day is going to be about their portfolio. And I, you know, been working with a lot of like Ivy League graduates that don't even have that good of a portfolio compared to like what boot camps uh, like teach you or like help you with a portfolio. So one of my clients right now, like who graduated from like a very prestigious degree program, we're working his portfolio right now. And he's been graduated for like six months now versus oh, wow. a lot of boot camps where um, there are a lot of boot camps. I know like you also work with, um, at a boot camp where they provide you a lot of opportunities to have like a real life project, which a lot of degree company degree, sorry, degree programs don't give you an opportunity to do that. Um, you also do way more capstone projects, like getting that real life experience and really building a portfolio. And that's something that makes that makes bootcamp students really stand out versus degree programs. I'm not saying degree programs, <laughs> like, you know, I'm not trying to like, you know, downgrade them or anything like that, but I'm just letting you know that like having a degree on your resume, like doesn't solve all of your problems. Yeah, no, I completely mm -hmm. agree. So uh, I, I kind of feel a lot of overlaps from my own experience uh, from mm -hmm. your answer. So I happen to be someone who transitioned into the design field myself. I, I had an undergraduate degree in another field. Um, and then I went into design kind of halfway through. 
I did not get a degree myself. Uh, I went mm-hmm. to a one-year program, but mm-hmm. that was enough for me to learn the actual skills and and actually build a small portfolio at, at the time and work my way up. Um, and at the same time, I in the past year, I've been an adjunct professor at some of the colleges, and um, mm-hmm. I was able to see it firsthand what their curriculum is and how they really teach. And one of the things that strike me was a student actually said, you're the first professor who actually told us about portfolio and started talking about it. Well, really? granted, they're not senior students. They were in, mm-hmm. uh, in their sophomore year, but... I was really surprised. I, I was, you know, kind of not expecting that because it's mm-hmm. such a common thing to do. It's not like I have something groundbreaking. So right. it's, yeah, exactly. So and, and that was a really good school, by the way. It's a really big mm-hmm. name school. And and granted, they're really talented. Um, a lot of them are, you know, probably more talented than I am. Um, but mm-hmm. but it, it, it's that you know, aspect that that strike me the most. Um, and when you talked about boot camps, I think they definitely excel in career preparation and my school actually path and bound we uh, kind of see that void in the market where um, actually a lot of bigger boot camps didn't have enough uh, time dedicated to portfolio building even though they do have like a really long you know uh, course period that dedicate to teach the skills of course mm-hmm. uh, for students to learn first so we totally agree with what you said you know you you only had 10 seconds to spend on a portfolio mm-hmm. before you decide if you're even going to pick them up and interview them right um so that's your first impression before you even get to explain your thought process <laughs> so that that's something yeah. very you know you know sounds unfair but it is mm-hmm. the reality because nobody has that kind of time to read through five of your case studies so yeah. Really appreciate your answer. Um, so when you actually screen the creative uh, candidates yourself, you you mentioned how you spend 10 seconds looking at their portfolio. What else do you look for? Yeah, um, I wanted to clarify. So I spent about 10 seconds in person's resume, and then I spent quite a bit of time looking at their portfolio. Oh, actually. right. So, yeah. so you looked at their experience first. Yeah, so I, you know, there's certain things obviously like depends on the job that I recruit for, like if they hit like, you know, the minimum requirements, let's say, you know, do they have like enough experience or honestly, that's the only thing. (laughs) So like, yeah, do they have like enough of like years of experience just because it depends obviously on the companies, like sometimes people like slightly flexible um, with that. But, you know, if they like check the boxes, like, do they have relevant experience or do they have like enough experience? And there's always kind of like a gray area with that. Obviously, if the job requires like two years experience and you have like one year experience, there's still like some leeway, but the job requires like 10 years experience, you have two years experience, that's a different story, right? But as long as you're somewhere within that, my immediate next step is looking at the person's portfolio. And I obviously don't read through like every case study, but I can tell from like probably the first like few seconds like how thorough that case study is does it like have a lot of like explanation you know of like the process i think especially for ux design um candidates the biggest thing i always kind of like get frustrated about is um it kind of like goes back to that like design process and like how you solve problems. There are a lot of designers who like to, you know, take a screenshot of their final product or like, you know, the high fidelity wireframes and just post it and be like, I did this, but I can look at it and, and I can say, okay, I can't tell what he did. 
who you did it with? What was your process? What was the initial problem? What was the solution? Did you solve the problem? You know, like, what was the outcome of it? I can't tell any of that information from the final screenshot. And that's where a lot of very talented designers fall short. They can have like the most amazing, like visually appealing design ever, but if they don't have like the whole process outlined, I'm gonna go to the next candidate. Right. Yeah, that's, um, that's very that's very important, right? Like for UX designer, obviously that's their main job. Um, mm -hmm. and, and if you're screening other types of designers, it's probably a little bit of a different process. Mm -hmm. And that's why actually uh, most UX bootcamp graduates they're they're tr uh, trying their best and doing you know spending a lot of time writing their case studies, which is which is um, very you know important. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. So. You know, when you screen those candidates, um, once you decide that you're going to move on to the the initial interview, um, what usually makes a good impression? Um, yeah, I would say um, that's a great question. I'm trying to think like what I look for. Um, I think, you know, like briefly, like explaining like your product and like, you know, what was the project that you worked on? Like what were the same kind of like the main um, like challenges and like just like how you explain it to me as a recruiter. I know it's probably how you're going to be explaining it to the hiring manager. And when I'm listening to somebody and they can't put two words together, that's kind of a red flag. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Also just being like, this may sound like a such a common sense thing, but just like being nice and respectful to somebody that you were speaking to goes a long way. Like you have no idea how many candidates that I speak to who just like, well, just look at my resume. Oh, just look really? at my portfolio. Yeah, oh, like people actually want to explain it to you. Oh, wow. They don't want to explain it. They, um, you know, can just say like, well, like giving like very surface level information. And it's interesting because I am, uh, I get to read a lot of feedback from hiring managers that they put after the interview into the applicant tracking system. And you have no idea how many people end up falling short because they're very like vague and give very surface level information uh, when they talk about their work and about their experience. Uh, my biggest thing that I tell all of my um, students and clients all the time is that like, Nothing. It's common sense. Don't assume anything. Don't assume that people know what you're talking about. Don't assume that like it's all clear from your portfolio, because at the end of the day, like even if it is clear in your portfolio and like, you know, we kind of know what you've done, like we also testing you on how good are you at explaining this, because this is not everybody knows about this, but those interviews and like how you're able to explain your work like especially as a designer you know regardless of the discipline that you're in like you know if you're a designer if you're a copywriter like any kind of creative when you end up getting a job for any kind of company a big part of your job like and still you can probably attest to that like you know a big part of your job is sometimes going to be presenting to stakeholders or like talking about your work right absolutely or sometimes yeah like if you work for or if you're trying to pitch this like product or the project that like requires a lot of like money and investment from the firm, you have to pitch and explain why it makes sense, right? And if you can't do that, especially sometimes you present to people who have no idea what design is and you're not able to explain the whole process during the interview, like people know that you're not gonna be able to explain it, you know, once you are in the job. Um, so like, that's why like the whole like presentation portion is such a big part of, the interview process, not because we don't think you can do a job, but it's like, can you explain how you do your job? Does yeah, that make sense? 
I, I, I think that makes, you know, so much sense. And, and also if they want to move up, um, to become a creative leader in the future, then this mm-hmm. is pro- probably the most important skills because if you can't, then you're probably going to be stuck forever in the middle, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and obviously, you know, once you've been, been in, in the workplace for 10, 15 years, you don't want to be stuck, right? You want to move forward and upward. So I, I think that's such great advice. Um, and from my personal experience, you know, I actually just wrote an article about soft skills for designers. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I talked about was an episode that I had experienced a couple of years ago. I was working at an investment bank as a designer. Um, and as you you know, may or may not know, they have a very hierarchical structure. So, you know, the managing directors usually have a say over everything. So one managing director actually call me into his office one day just because our team was doing something for his team. And he said, well, um, can you just change it like this and that? So basically he was telling me, you know, what to do based on his understanding of design. Um, And sometimes it's not the best solution, right? Because they're not really designers. So I had to really work my way through his, you know, kind of like my understanding of his psychology. First of all, I understand that he's used to telling people what to do. And second, he is definitely a little bit older. So he expects people to, you know, respect his opinions. So instead of kind of getting frustrated or confronting him right on, I was able to humor him first. I was trying to, you know, make him feel less um, threatened or any, you know, like just make him feel less stressed, right? So after Mm -hmm. I told him a joke, he immediately relaxed. And then we discussed the problem, you know, the project. And then I told him, hey, I really understand where you're coming from. I wish I could do everything that you said. You know, I agree with you. But because our company has, you know, this policy and then we have this, you know, certain brand guidelines, you know, I wish I could. Right. And then he was much more receptive after that conversation. And we just walked away with just a few changes, not everything, Mm -hmm. which ultimately protects the integrity of the project. So it's things like that that really matters once you're in the workplace. Can you manage that relationship? Can you speak to people? Can you present it well? Can you speak to someone who doesn't even understand anything going in you know, just pretend they are three-year-olds. You're trying to explain that to three-year-olds. So what you explained was, you know, just... <laughs> I Relatable. So- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think I honestly really like how you brought that up is because, like, when you are, like, newer to design, like, I feel like for anybody who is trying to get into the design field, like, one of the things that you probably have to get used to is that, you know, you have to put your ego aside sometimes, right? Because absolutely, it's always, it's going to be very common that sometimes the stakeholder or your client or whoever is, you know, you're delivering the work to is going to be like, I don't like it. Yep. Especially like, you know, when it's visual <laughs> design, it's just like, so like hard to argue with them because, you know, it's just like, well, I just don't feel like it. And they um, said, I don't like it, but I don't know why. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That is like a whole different thing, right? Like, yeah. Like, okay. Like, give me something to work with. Right. Um, but yeah, and it's, that's something that like, I've spoken to a lot of people about where like, you have to put your ego aside, because it goes back to like, my original point is that like, your design is not your way of self, you know, it's not self expression, right? You're delivering a business kind of like result or something like that, or you are trying to contribute to the business. And sometimes you can be right, but you know, you have to explain why you're right. Not, you can't just say, I actually, I remember I worked with one designer 
before, like when I was doing my internship and he was having such a hard time. He's a very talented designer when, but he just had a, such a hard time fitting in because every time I'd be like, oh, we like your concept, but maybe you can change this a little bit. He would be like, I'm a designer. I know better. <laughs> like this is a big no-no oh, in the wow. corporate world, right? <laughs> like obviously we were like very junior at the time. Yeah, it was right. like we were both interns, but you know, you can't have that uh, yeah. attitude, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, if you're an artist and people actually come to see your art because they appreciate it, yes, you can have that attitude probably. Um, but like mm -hmm. we, you know, um, agree on is design is not art is definitely related to art, but it's very mm -hmm. much business oriented. Um, I love that. So um, going into our next question, what do you think early stage creatives can do to maximize their chances of being higher um, with early stage being um, emphasized because we are seeing, you know, a, a lot of companies kind of shying away to hire early stage talent just because they have no experience and they need a lot more training. Uh, and, 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 you know, a lot of creatives, they get frustrated because no one will give them a chance and everyone wants at least one to two years of experience. How do they get through that? Right. Um, that is also, I love the question. Um, so one thing that I wanted to also just get this message across, it's like, again, when you are entry level, it's always going to be hard in every single industry. Um, it doesn't just pertain to being like a bootcamp graduate or like a designer or a recruiter, or like whatever it is, like it's, it's just always going to be hard to get your foot in the door. Once you get your foot in the door, like your experience is going to be very different from that. Um, so, well, actually, like now we're talking about that, I kind of like thought about this one when we're talking about, you know, being having a degree versus a bootcamp. Like one thing that I absolutely love about the design field is that that inundates your portfolio, right? It's it's less about like your credentials. I mean, they obviously do matter um, sometimes, but like it's mainly about your portfolio. So if you can deliver a good portfolio, like you're going to have much higher chances of um, of getting hired. Um, but going back to your most recent question, um, it's something that I actually talk to a lot of my bootcamp students about is getting experience or like getting your foot in the door like you need to think outside of the box, um, applying for jobs all day and like sending your resume or cover letter and portfolio is not the only way to get there, right? So I've had um, a lot of students who would be like, you know, networking is a great way um, to do it. I'm going to tell the scary secret to a lot of people, but a lot of entry job, entry level jobs don't even get posted at some companies because they get filled through referrals all the time. Um, so, you know, it's, it's like they, there are so many referrals coming in for entry-level jobs that for some companies, it doesn't even make sense to assign a recruiter to, or like assign, you know, recruiting force to that. But sometimes if you network with the right people and you network with the right, like managers, you might be that next referral, right? So, you don't know, so that's one thing, networking, but I know people sometimes hate the word networking, so I'm not going to push it like too much on that. Because you're literally talking to someone you don't know and trying to get their um, interest in you while you probably mm -hmm. have nothing in return to provide them for now. And, yeah. and I totally agree with you mm -hmm. because when I was working for big companies, they always ask the team first, do you know mm -hmm. anyone? We want to hear from you first. Mm -hmm. And many times I don't know anyone and I felt so bad because I could have referred someone, but I just didn't know anyone who's looking at the time. You, so, you know, if you had, you know, if someone had networked with me at the time, 
I could have referred Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, I've done the same thing. Like I've referred a ton of people that I've spoken to maybe like once or like twice or something like that. Or what I really like, and I actually run like my own like networking workshops for job seekers. And it's so interesting because I keep telling them sometimes me as a recruiter, like I'm thinking like even a few years ago when I first started out, like I would talk to some people who were entry level and I couldn't really place them anywhere because all of the roles that I was working on needed more experience, but I would have such a good conversation with them, kind of more exploratory conversation with them. And somehow I remember them like three years later, like this one guy spoke to him when he first graduated from school, didn't have any experience, couldn't place him anywhere. And then I we remembered each other three years later when he had three years experience and I recently placed him at Facebook. Oh, um, wow. So like, it i think the the problem with networking and like the reason why people are so scared of networking is because we all i mean it's a human nature right we want immediate results we want like that instant gratification like i want to speak to that person and then tomorrow they're going to refer me to this job and then next week i'm going to get the job that usually doesn't happen networking is a long-term investment because you know odds are three years from now you're still going to be you're still going to need a job, right? Right, right yeah. Like, you know, even if you already have a job, like you're still going to be applying for jobs or, or, or looking around or something like that. But anyway, so that's networking. Um, the second thing that I really kind of wanted to talk about that like not a lot of people think of it is work experience doesn't necessarily have to come from your nine to five, like standard corporate job kind of thing. There are a lot of like startups that need somebody to like help them maybe like, finding some smaller companies or even like freelance jobs um, to see if you can create them a project. A lot of times like people would actually pay you um, to create a project, but at least you have some real life experience, right? Um, a lot of my students find freelance roles on like LinkedIn. Upwork is another really big one. I used to freelance on Upwork myself. I actually really like that. So like experience can come from those places. Experience can also come from volunteer projects uh, for like nonprofits or something just getting real life experience. Um, it could come from, you know, those sources. I also had this one student and I thought like that was so smart where he had this like big idea for a startup company, but they didn't want to hire him. So he reached out to the CEO and like pitch himself, like pitch that project to him. And the CEO was like, I actually like that. Let's talk about it. Now he's working on that project with, the company, awesome. with a startup. Or sometimes if you also have this like brilliant idea, but like nobody wants to hire you, do you know any developer or engineer friends? Or like, can you network with somebody and maybe like, hey, why don't we create this passion project on the side? But at least like, you know, you can then tell that like, oh yeah, I have experience working with designer. And then you as a designer, like I have experience working with a developer and it already uh-huh. makes you feel so much more like knowledgeable and experienced. So there are a lot of different ways that you can gain that experience outside of just applying for nine to five jobs. So I feel like if you really like want it, there are just so many ways that you can get that experience if that's what it takes to get your foot in the door. Yeah, that's such a great advice. Uh, I didn't even think of uh, the last, you know, method that you you, you just taught us, <laughs> partnering with engineers and software, you know, developers, because they actually, I oftentimes see them posting online that they need a design partner to, to yeah. bring their vision to life, right? A lot of them are starting their own startups. And and actually, you know, the, 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 the advice that you just gave us, it's something that we're trying to do as a school too, is to partner with early stage businesses who really appreciate the help of design students and early stage design talents because they 
you know, realistic, realistically cannot otherwise afford more expensive and more experienced talent. And myself, you know, our company, we are also working with early stage talents to, you know, get us off the ground. So, you know, because those companies have lower barrier of entries, they don't care if you have zero experience, if they see some kind of work from your portfolio, which you will already have from, you know, your school, then they're going to give you an opportunity. You can count that right towards your work experience. Mm -hmm. And so that it's, it, it isn't as scary of a, of a thing if you think about it. And one thing that you talked about, I really love is don't expect any immediate return. And you know, even better, don't expect anything at all. Just think of think of it as making a new friend. Who knows what's mm -hmm. going to happen in, in a few years? And and you place someone in Facebook just because you remember them. That's that's remarkable. So mm -hmm. I, I want to, you know, end with um, asking you about your business, because, you know, I, when I connected with you, I, I saw that you're starting your own coaching business and I, I, I love your new website. It looks so awesome. So oh, tell us you. what inspired you to start your own business and what are you providing uh, to your clients? Yeah. So uh, in terms of, well, first of all, thank you. It's very nice to hear from a designer that like my website looks somewhat decent. Um, so just continuing the theme of like, I guess, all of my answers that I also fell into coaching by accident. Um, it was never part of the plan. Um, but the reason why is, you know, like as a recruiter, there's so many steps of the process that you were involved in. And one of the very big parts of like my process has always been prepping my candidates for the interview. So like advising them on like how to structure the resumes. I was also working on the agency side at the time. So like every time I would have somebody's resume, I would have to like pitch it to the hiring manager. And sometimes I would have conversations with people and learn about their background and be like, oh my God, that's amazing. And then look at the resumes, like, I don't see any of that on your resume. And then that's when I started advising people on how to do it better. Um, and then after a while, I just noticed that like as a recruiter, like my literally favorite part was just like helping my candidates and clients to get to that end point. Um, like, again, there's so many very talented people that just need that extra push or, you know, like that extra tip or like extra kind of like advice to get to where they need to be. And that is something that really inspired me to do that. I, I started like coaching by like, I was talking about like freelancing at Upwork. That's what I was originally doing. I was like, you know, like selling my services. Like, hey, like, you know, like I see you need a res resume help. Like I can apply for that. And then um, I uh, stumbled upon like Springboard, um, which is another UX UI bootcamp that like was hiring career coaches. And I was like, that's really cool. Like, I would love to do that. And I started doing that. And then after a while, I was posting a lot on LinkedIn about, you know, success of my bootcamp students, how much I loved it. And a lot of people started reaching out to me like, hey, like, you know, we're not a part of this bootcamp, but we kind of want to work with you. Like, do you provide any services? And I was like, oh, like, what do I, what do, I do about that? Like, I don't know, like, how to like build them, like what to say, like what to do. I didn't have a separate email and I have like structure, like any of those things and more and more people started reaching out to me and I was like you know maybe eventually instead of like having to be like caught off guard like be caught off guard every time maybe I could just create my website and um I you know like filed for my own LLC kind of it's been like months and months of like work before it kind of came into place but in terms of you know your question like what inspired me is 
really everybody I've been working with, you know, all my candidates, my LinkedIn audience, everybody that's what really inspired me to do it. And I think that's like a really rewarding kind of like business that I have right now um, where I provide a lot of those consultations. I help people with resumes. I help people with like interview coaching. I help people with portfolio presentations, which we all know can be nerve wracking. Um, things like that. So I do try to specialize in creative talent. Like I've had some clients that didn't come from that industry, but I'm kind of trying to like niche down because that's the industry that I'm most passionate about. And then, yeah, that's kind of how it <laughs> came to place. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, just, just, you know, if I would, or a candidate, and I know that I'm working with a real recruiter, that would give me a lot of you know, confidence because you're literally in, you know, the uh, the industry kind of connecting candidates with the companies. Um, so that's awesome. And, you know, we would love to kind of introduce you to our audience as well. Um, so we're definitely going to link your, you know, website to our blog oh, articles. It. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so one last question before we end is um, relating to, our, you know, Asian-owned business nature, right? So I know a lot of um, a lot of students who come from, you know, Asian, especially immigrant families in in, in this country and in other countries. Um, they still, you know, kind of face a lot of uh, disapproval from their family members if they pursue a creative career instead of the traditional. We all know doctors, engineering, mm -hmm. you know, law. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so what? Um, how do you? You know, how do you feel about that? And do you have any advice or thoughts um, for students who are currently facing that pressure from their family? Yes. Um, so Stella and I can probably attest to that is that like, you know, we're not alone, right? Like everybody kind of like had to face that challenge at the beginning. Um, my biggest advice for you in this just kind of like a general, I guess, even like a life coaching thing is um, when you are pursuing something that is out of the ordinary and when you are trying to chase like your dreams, there are always going to be people who are going to have their own opinions, right? Positive, negative, like whatever it is. But you always have to understand like, and that's something that I'm really like really seeing it as an entrepreneur and the person who's trying to do like things you know, outside of the norm a little bit is you notice that whoever is talking to you, they are always going to be coming from their perspective and what they know and, you know, like they own understanding of what it is that you're trying to do. Um, you can probably tell I'm a first generation immigrant, like English is not my first language. And I grew up in a family, we kind of moved around a lot, but I grew up in a family and in the country where there's no social security, there's no unemployment benefits, there is no such thing as like, you know, like you either make it or you don't kind of thing. Like, you know, you don't have a lot of those like basic like cushion to fall back on. And I know for a lot of, you know, our fellow, you know, like Asian friends, it's like, you know, maybe your parents or real grandparents or, you know, like however many generations ago, this is what our, like our parents grew up with sometimes, right? They don't, they haven't seen what we have seen. They didn't have the same opportunities as we are so privileged to have today. They didn't have the same economy. They didn't have a lot of resources that we have today. So everything that they're going to tell you is coming from that perspective of like, you know, being worried about you, like wanting you to always be secure because a lot of them probably grew up like not having that security, right? Um, so you have to take 
that with a grain of salt is because they just want you to be secure. And my biggest motto in life is like, everything is impossible until somebody does it. Right. I kind of came from very similar background. My parents wanted me to be a doctor or like an accountant or something (laughs) like that. Um, my family is in Vietnam right now. Like they wanted me to go to university across the street. They didn't want me to go anywhere. I took a gap year after high school because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And they were so upset about that. And they were like, you should have gone to med school. You should have gone to like this school. You should have done this. I've done that to make matters worse. I was a short period of time when I was rebelling and, you know, trying to make a living as a commercial print bottle. So you can probably imagine how much crap I got. Wow, from that. That's, uh, that didn't really last amazing. That, <laughs> that didn't last very long. <laughs> that didn't last very long, I but they were that. like so upset about that. And they were just saying like a lot of things that like was bringing me down at the time. But I think for anybody who's trying to pursue a dream, like you have to sometimes just block off all of those opinions, right? Because if you keep doing the same things that everybody else is doing, if you keep doing average things, you're just going to have average results, right? Sometimes you have to think outside of the box and do something amazing because like right now I'm looking back, you know, it's been obviously a few years since we had all these conversations with my parents, but you know, eventually like, when you ended up having a successful career, you were happy doing what you're doing. You have that security, you have, you know, income coming in or you're doing like, you know, you having a successful career, like your parents are going to be happy for you. Like your family is going to be happy for you. Like we live in a result driven world. Yeah. Like if it takes you a few years, it takes you a few years. But once you at the point where you've done everything, your family might say like, we were so happy that we were wrong because that's what my family said. You know, like, we we're happy we were wrong. So <laughs> So just keep that in mind. And, you know, like, obviously, like your family cares, but again, they don't know what you know, they haven't seen what you have seen. So once you do it, once you're happy, and once you have everything that you wanted, it's really going to change, I promise. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's so amazing to hear your own story. Because, you know, I, I didn't want to assume, you know, like everything, Asian American or, you know, Asian family have the same experience, but it seems like, you know, um, it's not just, I guess, like, um, constricted to our, you know, uh, tradition or background, actually, a lot Mm -hmm. of a lot of people face the same thing. And I once watched an interview uh, from an actor and someone asked him, you know, what advice do you have for people who want to pursue the arts, but I'm not sure, um, you know, if they should get a nine to five job uh, instead. And he said, you know what, there's no guarantee in this life, even if you have a nine to five. So why, why don't you just, you know, pursue something that is truly going to make you happy? You know, there's no guarantee. Even if you become a doctor, you're not going to be a guarantee to success, you know, to succeed. So it's, it's something that people probably don't think about. Um, So I, I love, love our conversation. It's, it's, you know, just so inspiring to hear from someone who, um, is on the other side of our industry, but very, very close to us. And it's amazing mm-hmm. to talk to someone who is also a fellow entrepreneur who's trying mm-hmm. to help people who want to be our industry succeed. So thank you so much, Christina. It was yeah. a pleasure speaking to you. And um, to hear and watch more interview episodes like this, um, please you know follow us. My name is Stella Guan. I'm the founder and CEO of Path and Bound. We'll see you next time. <laughs>